Hey, happy Father's Day uh, to the fathers in the room. Uh, as Elliot said, we know that for some it's a day of gladness and for some it's a day of uh, complication. And so we want to acknowledge that both of those are here uh, and the Lord handles both. And so if you find yourself in that place, um, pray to him about it. So, hey, we're thankful that you're here with us. Uh, we are uh, walking our way through a uh, series on the Lord's Prayer uh, where we are asking God to teach us how to pray, much like the disciples did when they came to the Lord. I see you, Dan. When they came to the Lord, uh, they asked the Lord to teach them how to pray because we know that prayer is one of those things that uh, we really have to be taught to do. Uh, it, can be, uh, it can be difficult. Uh, if you grew up around church, uh, you kind of are just expected to know how to do it. And, and so we were mindful of that as your staff and uh, pastors and elders. And so we, we decided to take the summer uh, to really talk about that. And we have come to uh, a phrase in the Lord's Prayer uh, where Jesus told him to pray. And he said, when you pray, say, hallowed be thy name. Um, and we must pray for our hearts uh, to really search God's holy name because our hearts are never neutral. And hallowed is probably a word uh, you don't use a whole lot. Um, it's a word that you really, you kind of feel it before you realize you're in it. Uh, and so when it comes to praying, we're, we want to look and see what did the Lord mean by this, knowing that the Lord's prayer directs our souls away from uh, worshiping those things that it sees uh, to those things that it, that it cannot see. And so when, we, when the Lord tells us hallowed, to pray, hallowed be thy name, it's because our souls are always looking for something to praise. Uh, and so God is telling us, let that be him. And so we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at Psalm 63 to kind of show us how to practice this. Uh, so if you are here, let's give our attention to reading God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 for a couple of verses, and then we're going to jump back to Psalm 63. Uh, so this is the Word of the Lord, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then looking at Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, and my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth, and they shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, it is out of your great goodness and your great mercy uh, that we can uh, approach you in prayer. Uh, Lord, even when we don't really even know how to do that. Uh, so we ask that you would uh, be gentle with us, uh, be gentle with me, uh, be gracious to us, uh, have mercy on us as we uh, limp along, uh, learning what it is to pray to you. Uh, so Jesus, you are the one who has said that you will uh, draw near to us. And so we ask that you will do that here uh, in our time together. And it's in your name we do pray. Amen. 
Uh, so when we look to praying uh, to our Father who is holy above all else, we'll see three things in the passages that we read. We'll see the aim of the soul, the application to the soul, and adoration of the soul. Welcome back, Dan. Uh, so let's dive in and look at the Lord's uh, instruction of prayer, uh, looking at Matthew chapter 6. When the disciples asked Jesus uh, to teach them how to pray, remember they did this because prayer is something that we have to be taught in the same way that we're taught to worship, in the same way that you're taught to play guitar, in the same way that you're taught to do your job, uh, in the same way that you learn the liturgical rhythms on a Sunday morning, all of these are things that we have to be taught. And so Jesus tells them, you know, here's an object lesson. Uh, you know, the Gentiles who kind of stand on the, on the street corners, uh, they talk really loud, they pray really loud. They're doing that so the people will hear them. Uh, they're actually gonna get their reward because what they want is for folks to think that they're like righteous or folks to think that they're religious or folks to think they're holy. So they're actually gonna get their reward. So uh, they're not as interested in actually bringing praise to me as they are in bringing praise to themselves. So look at the Gentiles and then do the opposite. Uh, instead of, of praying loudly on the street corners to be seen, I actually want you to pray in quiet with just you and your soul uh, and God the Father listening. Go to a quiet place and I want you to pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now last week, Elliot, uh, I would commend you if he weren't here to go listen to the podcast. Did an excellent job on preaching uh, our Father in heaven. Uh, and so as we look at hallowed be thy name, hallowed, again, as I said before, is a word that you won't hear very much. Uh, we don't say it a whole lot, uh, but it's a word that carries a ton of weight. Uh, and while we may not hear it, we certainly know it when we're in it. Um, hallowed meaning holy or set apart or otherly, uh, different. Um, I was in Memphis this week for our denomination's general assembly. All the PCA pastors get together and it's as boring as that just sounded. Um, and I'd never been to Memphis before. Uh, it was fine. Everybody talks about how great Memphis is. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, Memphis, if you're here, offense intended. Uh, don't, don't gas your city up so much, maybe. Um, and so I'm in Memphis. I don't, I don't know. I've never been there before. Um, so I have a friend who lives there. I got together with a couple guys. And he, I was like, I've heard Memphis has a good barbecue. It was fine. Um, and he said, meet me at Central Barbecue downtown. It's like the place to go if you're like an out-of-towner. A little offended that he wanted to just take me to that place. But I was like, sure. We got one in the Gulch, but I guess I'll drive this far. Um, and so we get there. And I, again, I've never been to Memphis before. And so uh, I'm walking down the sidewalk and just kind of yapping. And then I saw the Lorraine Motel like across the street. And I was like, oh man, like, if you don't know, that's where Dr. King was shot and killed, assassinated. And I just stood there looking and didn't say much. My friend was wondering why I was so quiet. And I was like, dude, that was heavy, um, dude. Uh, I was like, man, that, that was, there was something about looking at that and thinking of all the turmoil around that, of Dr. King and the civil rights movement, and even now how we're experiencing the backlash of all this. And I just stood there quiet for a second. And I thought, that's what hallowed is. You just kind of stand there and you're quiet. There was a weightiness. There was a glory about that place. So Jesus says, when you come into your prayer closet, pray, hallowed be thy name, because you're doing something reverent. Remember, don't be like the Gentiles 
That's irreverent. What they're doing is they're drawing attention to themselves. I want you to come into the prayer closet and I want you to say, hallowed be thy name because your soul needs to hear that. Remember our souls are never neutral. That when we're close to something hallowed, it really changes us. It changes our demeanor. And so where, we have to ask this question, where does your mind drift when you're alone kind of with your thoughts? When you walk into your prayer closet, say you take Jesus up on his offer and you're not like the Gentiles and you want to go and you want to do that. We have to ask ourselves, where does our mind drift in those moments when we're alone? Is it drifting to wanting to be really successful? Does it drift to the things of God? Does it drift to wanting the adoration of your parents? Does it drift to wanting the adoration of the board? Jesus says when God's name is hallowed, it will reorient your inner world. When we hallow the name of God, it kind of rights the ship of our inner souls. Because what our souls are doing, what our souls are kind of designed to do, is they're always grasping for something to worship. It's, kinda, it's how we're designed. It's what makes us different than the animals, that and the thumbs. But, what makes, but it's, it's sort of how we're just made. That there's something about humans that's unique to them that our souls were designed to consume and to take and to take and to take. And so when we go into our prayer closets and, we're, and we say things like, hallowed be thy name, and yet we find ourselves drifting off to maybe thinking about our next promotion, is it, is it happening because that's likely what you're worshiping? Whatever your soul drifts to is really what you worship. And what we find in scripture is that we, we kind of are what we worship. When you find yourselves swearing time and time again that you're not gonna be like your parents, only to end up like your parents. Uh, my friend George says you get there because that's what you're worshiping. When we're so focused on the promotion, when we're focused on getting married, when we're focused on having well-behaved kids, our minds drift there because that's really what we want. And Jesus is saying, you have to pray to your soul. You have to have your heart say, you have to have your mouth say, hallowed be thy name, because that's the only place that reorients your soul. So when God's name is hallowed, it's actually placing God above everything else that's vying for the affection of our hearts. So what does this look like uh, for the believer? Uh, we really must allow scripture to show us this. And so Psalm 63, it's what we want to teach from that this morning, is really a great uh, remedy and David's instruction and what it's like. Uh, so that's going to bring us to our second point, the application of the soul. Uh, here in Psalm 63, if the aim of the soul is to always be worshiping something and the instruction is that we hallow God's name in order to worship him rightly, then the application of that is uh, to our souls looks a lot like we'll see here if we look in verse one. David says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So look at the, the action verbs that David is using here. My soul thirsts. My flesh faints. I've looked upon you in your sanctuary. In verse two, I've beheld your power and your glory. My soul, he says in verse eight, my soul clings to you. It longs, it faints, it looks. He says, my soul is satisfied, my soul thinks. Why is he saying this? Because our souls are always grazing. 
or like, like goats tearing up a hillside. Our souls are designed to consume. You are compelled by your soul to take and to take and to take. Scotty Smith says that our bodies are the hardware and our souls are the software. That our souls are directing everything that we do. Look at what David said. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. David is showing us that the soul and the physical body are so intertwined that they can't be separated. They work in tandem together. When your soul is not doing well, it's likely that you're physically not doing well. And if you're physically not doing well, it's likely that your soul is not doing well. The connection of the body and the soul is so deep because the invisible world of our souls drives what we do in the physical world. It's not white knuckle discipline. It's not following some rules that we've made up for ourselves. Your soul is gonna drive everything about you. What you adore is gonna, do, is gonna show you what you care about, right? What you adore is where your souls are gonna go. The adoration really is our motivation. And if we're ever to change, it must be because our souls have found something more beautiful than what they currently behold. So our souls are driving everything we do. We're focused, we're worshiping something, whether it's God or whether it's your career, whatever you wanna put in that blank. And David is telling us, and the scripture is showing us that our souls are gonna drive us to that thing. Uh, Puritan Thomas Chalmers wrote an essay called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection that I never read and didn't want to and won't. Um, but good quotes had some great pulls from it. So I looked at that because I heard people talk about it a lot. Here are just some things that Chalmers says about the soul. The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness, but may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. He goes on to say, but what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed and one taste may be made to give way to another and to lose its power entirely as the reigning affection of the mind. And he says this, such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay a hold of and which if wrestled away without the substitution of another something in its place would leave a void and a vacancy as painful to the mind as hunger is to the natural system. Chalmers is saying here, you can't just uproot your idols and then leave nothing in their place. Your soul is not gonna let you do that. Because when that void is created, it's going, it, it abhors a vacuum. So when there's a vacuum there, your soul is gonna find something to put in its place. So if you think, man, I'm drinking too much, so I'm just gonna stop you're gonna find yourself drinking again. If I'm looking at porn too much, I'm just gonna stop. And you're gonna find yourself looking at porn again. This is, what, this is how addiction works, right? That our souls are grasping onto something. So Chalmers is saying, you can't just take that lesser God out of the place and then leave that place empty. If your souls are gonna change, the idol gets kicked out and then God is put in its place. David is showing, here, showing us here, that is what brings about change in the human heart and in the human prayer life. Your souls are driving everything you do. Everything you worship, everything you care about, you are what you love. 
And so adoration, David is showing us, is the way out of idolatry. It's also the way into idolatry, which is tricky. We worship our way into it. We have to worship our way out of it, which is going to bring us to our last point, adoration of the soul. Looking again at this psalm, uh, here's King David, king of Israel. He's writing, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Your steadfast love is better than life. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, you've been my help. My soul clings to you. The king shall rejoice in God. When we look at this psalm, I don't know if it's true for you. It's true for me. I looked at it and I'm like, sure, David, it's easy for you to say. Like when your wife yells at you, you just get another one. Like you're the king, you can do what you want. When your kids are crazy, you just get more. You kick them out, you do whatever you want. You run Israel, you got all the money in the world, you and God are on pretty good terms, it seems like. You took down Goliath, which is kind of weird and cool. Like sure, David, that's of course is your experience, but that's not my experience. And my friend Les pointed this out to me about this psalm. That when we look at Psalm 63, we have to go back to the heading, which we actually didn't put on the screen for you. But the heading of the psalm says this. This is a psalm of David when he is in the wilderness of Judah. So if we do a little Bible study, there were really two times when David was in the wilderness. One, he was on the run from Saul, uh, his boss. He was king, the first king of Israel, Saul. Uh, super jealous of David. He knew David was going to take a spot. He tried to kill him a bunch of times. He threw a spear at him one time when they were just like having dinner together. Uh, like he hated David. Um, and then the other time that David was on the run was when his son Absalom was also trying to kill him. So the first king is trying to kill him. And then his son is trying to kill him while he is the king. So David's the king. Absalom wants to be king. It's a whole messy story that you can read. Um, and so when we look at verse 11... If, the, if he was on the run twice in the wilderness, we well, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, the king shall rejoice in God. By way of deduction, we find that David is talking about when he was in the wilderness on the run from his son Absalom, who's trying to kill him. So things aren't going well for David. And then look at what he says in verse three, with that picture in mind. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He says this in verse one, my soul, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That was literally his experience. He's in the desert. He's in a dry and a weary land where there is no water physically. And he's saying, my soul longs for you as if I'm in the same place spiritually. He wasn't in the temple. He wasn't in the palace he was in the desert. David was on the verge of losing it all and he realized this, that God was all he needed because God was all he had. His family's in shambles. He's made tons of mistakes. He's not even in the palace. He's not on the throne. He's hanging out in the desert. And still he's writing such things to God to say, my soul thirsts for you. My soul clings to you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, still my lips will praise you. My kid might be trying to kill me. The palace might be sitting empty, but my heart is full and my heart is satisfied. Satisfied, he said, as with fat and rich food, as if he had just gone to Cain Prime in the midst of all this chaos. How in the world could David praise something like that? David's soul was untouchable. 
Absalom could take everything else. He could come and kill him. He could take his life. He could take his place. He could take all his wives. He could do whatever he wanted. But what Absalom couldn't get to was the undisturbed soil in David's deep inner self called his soul. His soul was like a slab of granite because it had found its identity in God. And when that happens, then and only then are you able to weather whatever schemes life and the evil one throw at you. You can say like in Psalm 112 that the righteous one does not fear bad news for their trust is in him. When you have a soul as sturdy as a slab of granite, you can say weird things like David just said. Weird things that like Christians of old would say. That there is just something about these men and women in the past who have found their hope and their treasure in the Lord. That they can say things like the missionary John Patton. I actually read his book. I didn't pull that one from good quotes. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides in the 18th century. Uh, the island of Vanuatu was where he went. They filmed a survivor there. And he went to this unreached people group of the New Hebrides who had a reputation for eating any missionary that went there. Keep sending them. We're going to snack on them. They were cannibals. They ate every missionary that was sent there by the church. Every single one. And Patton knew this. And he's like, yeah, I guess I'll go. I don't think he fattened himself up where he went. But he's like, I'll go. Like, they need the gospel. I'm going to go to, to the New Hebrides. I'm going to spend time with them there. So he gets there. He actually befriends um, kind of a shaman in the village. And then he befriends a couple of, like, the chief elders. But then they find out that he's there. And the island's mad. And they're going to find him and kill him. So he runs into the jungle. And then he wrote this in his book. He hid in a chestnut tree. He said this. I climbed into the chestnut tree and was left there alone in the bush for 27 hours. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but yesterday. I heard the frequent discharge of muskets and the yells of savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel my Savior's spiritual presence and to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Who in the world talks that way? Patton was immovable. He knew that, he could, that you could take his life from him, but you couldn't take his God from him. Patton knew something here. It's actually good that all that stuff got stripped away from me, he's saying. Because I would trade all this stuff that I have right now for just a night back in that tree. Because I've never felt so close to the Lord as I did there. He was immovable, much like the missionary Jim Elliott, who said he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the waves that slam me against the rock of ages. Who talks this way? And when Jesus himself was on a cross and the world was swirling around him, he could have easily called on legions of angels to pull him down from the, from the cross and kill everybody that mocked him. But instead he prayed, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we don't tell you this because we tell you to be like David. 
Please don't be like David. He was a train wreck. I don't tell you this to be like Patton. I don't tell you this to be like Spurgeon. I tell you this to be like Jesus. And when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we become a little more like our creator. We become a little more like our savior. That when our soul tastes the goodness of God and finds its satisfaction in him, it is then that you have true worship. That God's name being hallowed, we hallow God's name because we've, we, we've found that nothing else can compare to what we found in the arms of Jesus. And for some of you that are here, this idea is so foreign to you. You've never experienced Jesus this way. You never experienced your suffering this way. Your soul's never acted or moved in this way. We want you to know all this is true. All this is true. To come to Jesus, to come to Jesus and see that it would be an invitation to you to experience and to taste and to see and to know that God really is who he says he is. For some of you here, you've felt this before, but it's been, it's been a minute. It's been a long time. Uh, and you're dry. And it feels like a desert spiritually. And you just wish, man, I wish I could feel God like that again. I was in Memphis with my dear friend who is on the verge of, of walking away from the faith. Um, just a steadfast man, a good man. Um, I'd love for you to pray for him. He, he's a firefighter in Memphis. He's, he, he's a firefighter in Memphis. That tells you what he is. He has seen some stuff. And we're sitting at Central Barbecue. And he said, uh, terrible recommendation. And he's sitting there at, at Central Barbecue and he, and he says, man, I just miss this. Like I miss, I miss believing that Jesus really is who he says he is. I hate that I'm, in, I'm stuck in this suffering. I just miss it, but I don't know how to get back there. And I didn't know what to say other than, I think you're on your way back. But it's still hard. Uh, we acknowledge that, uh, that the Christian life is difficult. And it feels like David, but you don't have a palace to go back to. It just seems like all your kids are trying to kill you. And then there's some of us here who know exactly what this is. You are feasting on Jesus right now and it is so good. And we don't want to hold that against you. We actually want to celebrate that. But we know that in a room this big, and we know that in a soul that we have that's as crazy as our own, we'll feel all those things all the time. And like David says, but the king shall rejoice in God. That when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we tell our souls where to go, when we say, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we're directing our souls to see Jesus as the one who is more beautiful and the one who is more believable. Because we know this, that there's a resurrection coming. There's a resurrection coming for the body. There's a resurrection coming for those who have uh, saints who have died before us, there's a resurrection coming for us. There's a resurrection coming for the world. That Jesus promises that all things are going to be made new. And that's really going to happen. That you won't have to begrudgingly call your dad on Father's Day anymore. If you've missed your dad, you'll see him again. 
That there's this resurrection coming for the people of God. And Jesus is saying, when you go into your prayer closet and you pray, hallowed be thy name, I want you to keep praying that so your soul can see that God is the one who really loves you. That you can place him at the top of your rank of affections. And even when he's, even when he's not in that spot, he hasn't let go of you. That whether you're dry and, and parched, whether you've never experienced this before or whether you're experiencing it all the time, there is a God who stands ready to save you and welcome you. Christian, your soul will only find satisfaction when it finds it in Jesus. The one in whom mercy and justice met on a cross. The one of whom we sang of earlier in our song, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. As John Newton wrote, let us wonder grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. For when through grace and Christ our trust is, Justice smiles and asks no more. There is a boatload of mercy waiting on you. And it meets us all the time. So much so that when justice looks at it, it moves to the side. When they're playing chicken and the evil one is saying, look at what Daryl's done again. God is saying, sure. But look what my son has done for him. And that wins. Our father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Lord, I, I have to admit that's not my prayer. I have to admit that I just want you to do stuff. Um, so Lord, would you forgive me when I don't sit um, with reverence and awe of who you are. Uh, Lord, for my friends here, uh, would you meet us wherever we are on the spectrum? Lord, for those who don't know you, would you draw them to yourself even now? Uh, would you show them the beauty and the majesty of the Trinity? Would you show them their need for a savior? Would you show them their sin? Would you show them where salvation is found? Uh, Lord, and then welcome them home. Uh, for those who are dry and, and, and weary and tired, Lord, would you do the same? Comfort, uh, be merciful. Lord, give life to, allow them uh, to be, to feast and be nourished uh, on your word and on yourself. God, you are good to us, uh, even when we don't feel it. Lord, I would say especially then. So God, call us to yourself as we enter this uh, last few minutes of worship together. Um, we will leave here rejoicing because of all that you've done. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.